Today is Monday, March 15th, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 399 featuring the Athletics' Jared Weiss is powered by BetOnline.ag. Go to BetOnline.ag today and use the promo code CLNS50 for a 50% bonus when you first sign up. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. Hope you had a great weekend. This is another new edition of Celtics Beat. I am Adam Kaufman, your host. Of course, you know Evan Valenti, who is here with us, our producer, sometimes fills in as host. And uh, today we won't hear from quite as much as we normally do. He's a little under the weather, but he's going to power through. He's going to battle because he is a fighter. And, uh, you know, for anyone that that has the, and I, I'm using this word deliberately, the privilege, you know, you might be listening and we appreciate you if you subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. But if you are watching, if you have the video feed of this podcast going for you right now, Jared Weiss from The Athletic is with us doing his best Marcus Smart impression. He has come robed up and ready for the show because when you celebrate a win in Houston over those lowly Rockets who have dropped 16 straight. Jared, that's just the only way to do it. Listen, I am clearly doing a bit, and it's not that I overslept through my alarm. It just got out of the shower just in time for us to tape this. I'm a professional. That would never happen, especially on a show that I used to host and I care about dearly. This is clearly an homage to Marcus Smart. It's not on professionalism whatsoever. See, and and he looks good. He looks comfortable. He looks more comfortable than the rest of. I think next time Jared's on, all three of us need to rock, rock, uh, rock the the robes. I was starting to say Rob. We'll get to Rob Williams. Obviously, we all need to rock the robes, Evan. Well, here's the thing. I think if you are a guest, a future guest on this show, and you don't wear a robe, then you're just going to be you're lazy, looked downly upon. Because yeah. Jared has now <laughs> set the bar at an extremely high level. And uh, dear all future guests, like imagine if we had Mannix on in a robe last week, that would have been. I can't great. actually, I, I, I can't imagine that where, where I was going to start to go. I was texting earlier today because uh, I was starting to think about our next show after this one, which will be, you know, later in the week sometime. And I was texting with Bob Ryan, you know, if, if he doesn't show up wearing a robe, you know, real. If Ryan real rocks the robe, then, we're, then, then we all rock the robe from now on. If, I was going to say, what a, what a great flex. Hey, I was just texting with Bob Ryan the other day, you know, <laughs> the most famous sports journalist in the world. If Bob Ryan, Bob Ryan showed up, though, on the show wearing a robe, would that be the greatest accomplishment in the history of Celtics beat? <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> no question. Hands down. Oh, what a way to ring in show number 400. Yeah. Dude, no, see, that now See now we got to do it. See, now we got to do it. That's, that's just out of the books now. Yeah, it feels like the only thing that's that's really uh, available to us. We have a lot to cover in the next hour, including uh, obviously everything is fixed. The Celtics, who are still marginally <laughs> above 500, but they've won five out of six going back to before the All-Star break, had that ugly loss to Brooklyn coming out. It wasn't even that ugly. They played okay. It's just, you know, it was a reminder, and we'll get to this. It was a reminder of just how far away, you know, talent gap-wise they are from the Nets. We'll get there, though. Where I want to start is it should be fairly obvious. You know, I was among the many tweeting last night about Robert Williams and just a sensational performance, 16 points, 13 rebounds, three blocks, but even more notable than that, he did all of it in a span of only 19 minutes. So he was the talk of post game. And I was hosting another show earlier today outside of obviously Celtics beat it. And it was NBA focused, the league in general, doing some of the, the other stuff that I do. And my producer, I had texted something about, uh, 
you know, just it's it's you, this is going to be the Rob Williams Appreciation Hour, right? This this makes sense. We'll we'll do a full hour on him, maybe maybe just fifteen minutes or 50, 55 minutes. Would that be appropriate for Time Lord? And he he writes me back. He said, "There's there's no time limit when you're speaking about the Lord of it." And I said that I said that's the deepest thing I've ever heard. It's Jack Handy esque right there. Yeah. I mean, what, what do you do at that point in time? But what do you do now, Jared? Because you were right there asking Brad Stevens and, and Rob and Jalen Brown, these guys, you were involved. You were there asking questions post-game in that Zoom conference. What do we do with Robert Williams to all the people like me who have been clamoring for him to get more playing time, not just recently, but literally for years? I mean, last year I was tweeting about, man, that like it's just a matter of time before this guy is the starting center on this team. And then, of course, derailed by the injuries. He misses 50 games and, and falls way behind, and, and so that wasn't realistic. Well, now he is building to a point where that should be very much on the radar. Where are we going with this in terms of his playing time? What you do is you cave the public pressure and you start the guy. It's I mean, it's about move. damn time. He, I, this is my <laughs> this is my story on the athletic. It was funny because I, I wasn't really paying attention to the post game coverage uh, last night, and then I end up like waking up this morning and watching the post game show and like seeing a few other things. And I was thinking, like, I'm probably the only one taking the stance about you got to start Robert Williams. No, it turns out everyone agrees. It's like <laughs> it's kind of obvious at this point, and. I, I was probably Robert's harshest critic. I always, I mean, I always from the beginning believed he had the potential to be a really good starting center. But I also was, while people were getting excited by the big plays, I was the one going, let's let's kind of wait a little bit here. He's making a lot of defensive mistakes. Maybe people aren't seeing them because they're not as obvious to see as like, you know, catching a rebound and then immediately throwing it to the other team. You know, the stupid stuff that he would do all the time. That's very obvious, but he was really struggling defensively where he would like defend the first part of a play really well. Cause it's kind of easy to learn that stuff. And then obviously NBA offenses are a little bit more complex than that. And so they would keep going and going, keep running different actions to kind of get him out of position and then attack him. And he would make mistakes over and over and over again. And, you know, there's been the running joke about how he always bites at every pump fake, how, you know, a baby could point to the sky and he would jump over the baby. You know, it's like this guy, it was just too easily fooled into making mistakes. And it's not really a coincidence that this is the first time in his career he's played 10 straight games more than, I think, 14 minutes, you know, but close enough to 15. He's never had consistent playing time his entire career up until this point. And now we're seeing just just him getting, like, you know, backup center minutes on a consistent basis every single night. And he's completely transformed over the past month. He's cutting out so many of the errors that were in his game. And, you know, he's the stuff that he does well on offense. I think he's starting to do it. It's not just happening because of luck anymore. You know, the thing that I asked him in the post game was about, do you feel like you have a much better sense of rhythm on when to roll to the hoop? Because in the past, he would kind of just kind of wander around the perimeter trying to figure out when do I screen? When do I roll? And then like, how do I roll so that, I'm not just like rolling to the rim and then standing there hoping somebody throws it to me. Like I want people to know that I'm when I'm rolling, they're going to lob it out ahead of time. So I'm beating everybody to the punch. Cause like, as long as he has a, as long as nobody is like standing there waiting to try to stop the lob to him, he is going to beat every player in the NBA, except for like 
Rudy Gobert and Joel Embiid. It's like pretty much every other player in the NBA, he's going to beat them to that ball up in the air. And so that sense of timing and rhythm has really come along for him. And so now that he has that, you know, Daniel Tice is a more well-rounded player. And I think Daniel Tice is still going to be their go-to center in the playoffs, presuming that he doesn't get traded in the near future. Um, you know, just because he's such a smart and well-rounded defender and because he picks and pops really well and he can stretch the floor and it's going to be really vital in the playoffs. But right now during the regular season, you can still win by playing Robert Williams and giving Robert Williams these prime minutes is so much more valuable for your future and even for your present because it continues to build them up and continues to turn them into a weapon that can be really dangerous in the playoffs. So what's giving them pause? What's slowing them down? Like Brad Stevens obviously talked about not wanting to, and and these are my words, but not wanting to overexert Robert Williams because of, you know, just being mindful of the injury history and, and they are ramping up. The goal is to give him more and more minutes. It's not like he's off the radar. He's very much part of the rotation. They want to see him out there more to your point and everything that you just talked about, but you know, there's a big difference between he's averaging 16 you know, minutes a game, which is it's it's just not nearly enough. You know, when you see Daniel Tyson, Tristan Thompson, who are starting this double big setup and these guys are both getting, you know, right around 25 or, or just south of that. Williams is playing a fraction of that. How what what needs to happen to see more consistency in terms of usage for Robert Williams out there on the floor? Because as far as I see it. He's earned it. He's at least earned the opportunity to fail and see what he does with it. How does Brad feel about it? You know, I think Brad, he comes around slowly uh, or slower on these young guys who are making defensive mistakes more than anyone else. Cause that's like, it's well, it's a well-known mantra in the organization that you get playing time with your defense in the Brad Stevens system. And that's just what it was for Rob. He had to stop making those offensive mistakes if he wanted to keep getting those opportunities. And I think when you combine that with the fact that they do want to keep his minutes down and they do want to keep him into the high teens right now, it's just going to be a slow transition. It's not going to be a, a flip switch overnight. I do think they should be starting him because that gives them the opportunity to start him, play him five minutes, six minutes, and then cycle between Tice and Thompson for the rest of the game and then bring him in again for the beginning of the third and then bring him in for the fourth. And so that allows them to keep him into the 16 to 18 minute range without, you know, while still having him for the most important parts of the game. And that's important because right now he's playing mostly against second units and he's dominating those minutes. So now you got to increase the degree of difficulty if you're going to push him to the next level if you're going to prepare him for the playoffs where even second unit basketball is incredibly intense. So he needs to be playing against harder competition in these crunch time situations where there's way more pressure and see how he handles the pressure and doesn't make those mistakes. Those are the things that they need to be putting him into now. And so I think they can do that while restricting his minutes and while allowing all three centers to play. Cause as much as people want to complain about Tristan Thompson, the guy's been pretty solid. Like, mm-hmm. The last month of the year, he's been good. He's been pretty much what they expected out of him. And we very rarely have seen him play in his natural position, which is a five surrounded by four perimeter players. Daniel Tice at least is versatile enough that he can kind of get by playing in those double big lineups. Tristan Thompson is the kind of player that's really hard for him to be effective in the double big lineup because he's not a shooter, because he's not really a creator in the post, although we see him try to be and he just keeps – throwing his shoulder into people and taking those baby hooks. But 
you know, it, there's a way for them to get all three of those guys decent minutes while also not playing the double big lineup, which is going to go away. And Stevens was pretty clear about it. Stevens was almost excited to talk about the fact that now that Marcus is back and Kemba is back, they don't really have to play double big unless they have to, which is, you know, there's probably a handful of teams where it makes sense to do that again. Yeah. I mean, once Marcus Smart is starting and Brad was asked about that last night, like is, you know, do you, would you rather have that defensive intensity off the bench? You can start Marcus and Brad, you know, basically said, no, I mean, once Marcus is ready to start, Marcus is going to start. And so this double big thing, it is going away. And so this, this really is just kind of a, you know, a fleeting moment that we're talking about anyway. I mean, everybody was furious with Brad for the lineups who's playing and all that kind of stuff. Maybe they're starting to see like, this is what we were talking about. I'm sure you guys were saying the same thing. He didn't have a choice, right? It was like either start a young wing that like isn't competent offensively or start two bigs that you at least know, know the system can make good decisions can work hard on defense. It was a really crappy compromise. It was a real Sophie's choice, which I don't even know if I'm using that right, but I feel like saying it anyway. (laughs) And so, you know, Brad's in this terrible Merrill Streep situation where he needs to find a way to just get competent players out there as much as possible. And Danny did not put him in a position to be able to do that with Smart out, who Smart is like literally the most competent player on their team. He's their smartest player. He's their biggest glue guy. He's their biggest playmaker on both ends that holds everything together. And we're just seeing how much better the team is in these first couple games with them, even though they lost that Brooklyn game, they played, they played really well. And they just, you know, they, they had a few blunders on keeping track of Kyrie um, that, you know, like that screwed them over. But like, I think their overall style of play, they were much better. And so, and then, I mean, you and I could have got out there with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown last night and we would have kicked Houston's ass anyway. So I don't think that was too impressive, but people wouldn't even um, need to guard me. I'm a non-threat out there. <laughs> right. So the we just had two little white guys spaces to the corners and that's, it's fine. <laughs> that's right. oh, that's basic. Sorry. I got to yeah. open up the lane for Jason and Jalen. Raindrops. We're going to put Valenti in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I just, I think at the, I was a center I think once. The, I want to point that out. I was a center one time in like house. Lane, so, Really? Wow. Yeah, it was in, really in, bad. It did not go in, well. They in never played me there grade? again. What's up? In when? Fifth grade? Yeah, actually, right at, dead on the money right there. Fifth grade. Nice job. <laughs> wow. So the, the we're talking to the inventor of small ball over That's here. it, this right here. I was, a, I, was, I was the early linchpin of small ball. But yeah. the thing with, but with no, so the, the fun fact, this is how tall he was in fifth grade. He just exactly. stopped growing. <laughs> I mean, exactly. Um, but you look at, you know, I think maybe somebody mentioned it last night, and it, it might have been you, Jared, but it's it's more about the energy of the team. With Smart, when he comes on the floor, you see it. And with Rob on the floor, I mean, you saw it last night, how quickly their energy changes and and how beneficial it would be for Boston to start with that kind of energy, that kind of tone from the beginning versus later. So when you talk about starting Time Lord for five or six minutes just to get his feet wet a little bit, make sure they're off at the right start, and then pulling in for, you know, a Tristan Thompson, I love that idea. You know, it gets it gets just the, the team started in the right direction, and that's – one of the things we've talked about with Boston, they've they've sometimes played down to their competition. And last night looked like one of those, another one of those cases. So it's like, oh, wow, okay. Going to give up 34 points in the first quarter to this. Absolutely. And I don't, look, I, there are some players on Houston that I think are really great, but that is a, it's a tough squad. I feel bad for Coach Silas. They've lost now 16 straight. But if you're going to, you know, you're going to give up 34 points in the first quarter to a team that's lost 15 straight. 
Um, I know they eventually end up go- taking the lead in that quarter, but the energy was so off until they brought Marcus into the game. And you'll see, like, and when you're playing Brooklyn, when you're playing Philadelphia, when you're playing Milwaukee, these upper echelon teams in the Eastern Conference, you cannot afford to start like that. Like you can't, you can look Houston shot of their, their, their minds out of the basketball in the first quarter. When that's Brooklyn, that's not a, that's, that's not a mistake. They're a really good three point shooting team between Kyrie Durant, Harden and Joe Harris. I mean, you have four of the best what three point shooters in the league all on one team. So you can't afford to do that. So I, I to, to just to give you a little kudos on the start time more, but then rest them for quite a bit is I think a really smart idea. I don't think Brad will end up doing it maybe until later into the playoffs because I think Brad values continuity and I think he values guys, you know, having chemistry and knowing where to go and all that stuff. But I think eventually here, what we're all talking about with Rob Williams is this guy, you know, who we've seen, you know, kind of crawl along here in terms of his development has really become the best center on the team. And when you look at it this way, and I know people look at minutes and who starts and all that stuff. But when you think about it as when Rob's the best center, and I'm with you, I think Tristan Thompson is fine. I don't understand why so many people hate Tristan Thompson. I think he's been fine when you understand that he's their second their, their, their second best big that happens to play, you know, starters minutes because of Rob's injury history. Once you kind of lay that out and then Daniel Tice becomes that third big, it just kind of makes a little bit more sense. And, you know, when, they, when you look at this roster – I mean, when they when they get everybody back and they go one big, I mean, it seems like this team's going to take off a little bit, Jer. Probably. I, I think I'll push back on a couple things. One, sure. I don't think Stevens is all about continuity. I mean, this is a guy that is messing with the rotations throughout the year, and we see it every single year that he relies on, let's say, find a nicer word for mediocre or just pretend I said that mediocre veterans um, at the beginning of the season. And then he ushers in the young guys that everybody was pissed off weren't playing earlier because I'm sure people saw them in practice. They would see that they were screwing up like every other play. So there's a reason why it takes a while for them to get into the rotation. Stevens doesn't like playing mistake prone players. That's his style. And also people kind of forget while Stevens is in a developmental situation, He's also in a situation where everyone wants him to get fired if he doesn't win the finals every single year. So it's a really, it's a really tricky balancing act that he has. Very few coaches in the NBA have to deal with that. But so we're going to see Romeo Langford especially coming in. We're going to see probably more Aaron E. Smith as the year goes on. Uh, and obviously we're going to see more Robert Williams as the year goes on. And I, I think that 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 is going to, create a sense of a lack of continuity because it's so different from what happened in the beginning of the year. And not to mention the team has like had, they've been like bottom 10 in the league in injury luck and games missed due to injury. And more importantly, erratic injuries. Cause a lot of teams over the years, they're down at the bottom of those rankings because they keep having players tearing their ACL and missing the whole season. The Celtics haven't really besides Gordon Hayward, they haven't had someone suffer a season-ending injury early in the season in this whole era. They just keep having guys being out for weeks at a time. We've talked about so much about how, like, their core – excuse me, their core starting lineup only plays, like, a few minutes together every single year. We had it last year with the best five lineup. This year, Smart and Kemba didn't even play together until game – like, until, like, literally the halfway point of the season. I mean, this has been – Stevens just had to deal with this erraticism, so he's never really had to 
the um the luxury of continuity the luxury of like the most important thing for most teams and so i think that he's been conditioned to not to kind of just not need to value it as much because it's kind of taken as just like a luxury if they're able to even get it which is really hard for the players and that's why every single year we kind of have these leaks about how the players are so frustrated because they don't know their roles and all that kind of stuff but in the reality it's that so many players get an opportunity to try to establish roles and the roles have to keep changing because of injury and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's uh, sorry. I just got a text that uh, threw off everything I'm saying, but um, Celtics trade for Harrison Barnes. Was that it? No, oh, no. Okay. Uh, right. Interesting. Just wanted to see if we got some well, breaking mi- news. <laughs> mi- no, not quite yet, but enough that I have to respond to this as you guys say what your next thing is. But um, <laughs> we, uh, the point is, is that it's 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 a real tough job for Brad to keep everybody happy because everybody gets a little bit of a taste of what they could maximize as their role in this team, and then it kind of has to be taken away from them, and that's really hard. And people get pissed off about that, and it's not always hunky dory. And so he he's going to have to make some tough decisions now that everybody is healthy, and some of these guys who I think have done a decent job, like Shemi Ojale, I don't really know how you know what Shemi Ojale's future is for you know this team well, because they're not going to need him nearly he as much. He wasn't expecting to be back on this team this year. And then obviously, you know, Hayward ends up leaving and he winds up back. So it's true. You know, I, I think there are no question. There's there are elements to this team that are still uh you know tough to read. And certainly going back to what we were talking about with regard to starting, whether it was Williams or anybody else, like Brad Stevens very publicly doesn't give a damn who is starting for his team. Like who's starting versus who comes off the bench. It just it doesn't mean much to Brad. And maybe that's because, you know, he is a guy that obviously like within his own playing career didn't reach those heights where like some of that level of ego does come into play. Uh it's just it's not that big a deal to him you can you know you can like you can come off the bench and play the same minutes if not more minutes than a starter I mean how often have you seen a a Daniel Tice or a big you know big X whomever it it may be over the last few years play like 15 minutes in a game and then a big off the bench plays 27 so it's you know Brad just that's that's not his thing while Jared responds to that text it's a good opportunity for me to tell you about bet online of course our friends at betonline.ag football is over as we know it's uh you know, right now, as we talk, though, legal tampering is underway in the NFL. So moving and shaking going on. And, uh, you know, but with the NBA and college basketball, NHL all in full swing, there is much to pay attention to at Bet Online, our partners here. NBA title odds, the Brooklyn Nets, they've leapt into first, plus 250. And I have thoughts on that team. The Lakers, they are plus 280, the defending champs. The Clippers at plus 550, led, of course, by that two-headed monster of Kawhi Leonard, the uh, once Raptors champ, and Paul George there as well. The Jazz, still hanging on by a thread, plus 750, although have absolutely nobody's respect in terms of title contention. Then the Celtics, if you want to lay some coin, again, they've won five out of six, plus 3,300 to win a championship right now. And naturally, what everyone will be excited about later on this week, Big Dance, it's finally here after a one-year hiatus as a result of COVID. And Bet Online is the place for you to make a killing during this year's NCAA tournament. Live odds for every single game, 
So many ways to win. Gonzaga, clear favorite, undefeated, plus 180. Illinois, plus 550, another top seed, much like Baylor, plus 600. You include uh, Michigan, the other top seed in there as well. All taking place, you know, we say regions, but this entire bracket will be in Indiana. It's the best way right here to hit a long shot and make some serious dough is find a sleeper school that you've got faith in. Bet online as you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. Best way and best place for your bets, free to sign up as well. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action, and do not forget, use that promo code CLNS50 to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Again, that is promo code CLNS50, Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And uh, obviously, Jared, I, I, you know, I, I joked earlier about Harrison Barnes. I do want to get to that. First, though, just to pick up on something that I was talking about within our Bet Online read there, and uh, the Brooklyn Nets. Now, this is a... We know how talented the Nets are. Like No one has ever argued with their talent, maybe a little bit with their depth, but certainly not with their top-end talent. Kyrie Irving, we know what he's capable of. James Harden has been elite since he got there, bought in way faster than I ever would have expected him to. Kevin Durant, when he is available, also has been exceptional. And then they go out and they add some depth around, you know, DeAndre Jordan. Blake Griffin will find out if he can still play. You know, there are people that... Could Andre Drummond wind up there? You know, what, what kinds of cast-offs are the Nets going to add to fill out that bench around the, the Stars and Joe Harris and guys like that? My thing with Brooklyn is this. Watching that game the other night where the Celtics, you said it earlier, they played well and they didn't play well enough. They fell apart at the end. They were in it for a while, fell apart at the end. And as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, man, a series of this, this would be a blast. And then I take a step back, you know, within milliseconds and remember – boy, they're just, they're not even sniffing this game if Kevin Durant is playing in this one. Like, this is this is such an easy sweep for the Nets, even if the Celtics are healthy, or maybe the Seas win one. Like, the talent gap is so severe. But if I am thinking about the Nets, bigger picture as a championship contender, which of course they are, but if I'm thinking about really, like, if I'm putting my money on them to win a title, I am still given pause by the fact that at some point in time, and people overlook this in the NBA, they even mock it in the NBA, but at some point in time, as the playoffs move on, you do typically have to stop somebody. And I, I just, I know the Nets can go out and they can outscore anybody, but there's just the, the defense is so bores, so bad, so, so unimportant. They just don't care that I think that is ultimately going to be what bites them. It really is Mike D'Antoni's wet dream, isn't it? And yeah, there's no it question really, he's on really that staff. It, and so fitting that he's an assistant coach there. You you know that in 2007, when Jack McCallum was writing the book about them, that he and Steve, they were like, imagine if we could do this, but just never play defense at all. And that's what they, <laughs> but they finally have accomplished it. And the thing is, the NBA was daring someone to do this. The NBA has changed the rules over the past five years to basically say, hey, guys, why don't you just try to see who can make it to 150 the fastest? Or, I mean, more legitimately, 130 the fastest. And Brooklyn has done that, and it's worked. And I remember during preseason, we were making these jokes about how, like, Brooklyn just needs to hit 135 every night if they want to win. And that's literally what they're doing, and it's actually working. It's not even a joke. And the big question is going to be, how much does the officiating change in the postseason? And so every year what happens in the postseason is they basically allow hand checking to a much stronger degree. They allow a lot more physicality. So the foul rate, I don't know if it literally goes down, but the perception of the foul rate goes down significantly. And so it hampers these teams 
that are so dependent on drive and kick offense. And what's great about Brooklyn is that they have a really beautiful offensive system. And I think Nash has done a terrific job as and credit to Jacques Vaughn and uh, Mike D'Antoni there too. But they also, they have three guys that are elite isolation creators from all over the floor and every type of play, you know, they can do, they can do high posts, they can do high pick and roll. They can do clear outs. They can do whatever they want. They all are elite passers out of those situations. And then they also have Joe Harris. They have TLC. Who's been really good. Andrew Shamit's kind of finding his way in. They always have, a fifth guy they can put out there, obviously Jeff Green, and we'll see what happens with Blake. They're gonna, they're not really gonna have a weak point on offense. So I think that they're gonna be sustainable. And they're they're not the kind of offense that can be really pushed out of their game. You know, they have guys that are elite at dealing with that kind of stuff. And they have so many of them that you just can't you can't game plan them out of it. So I think Brooklyn's gonna be sustainable. I think they're gonna be the best team in the league this year when it's all said and done doesn't mean they're going to win the championship. I mean, last year, the Milwaukee Bucks were the best team in the league, and they fell flat on their faces in the postseason. Mm-hmm. We'll see. And, you know, the Bucks have the potential to not fall flat on their faces this time around, and maybe that will be, make them the champions. And then, obviously, we got at least three teams in the Western Conference that look like they're ready to win a title. So it's, it's going to be you – know, the, the Nets are not going to be able to just super team their way to this. They're not. Yeah, I agree with that. I especially just, when Kyle Lowry gets traded to the Sixers. There you go. <laughs> but no, I, I agree with that, especially when you think about, you know, and, and with Boston, though, when you think about you're going to have to chase that team, it was so obvious that they're at least a gun short and they're at least, uh, yeah, at least one gun short, maybe another one. I mean, with with Durant coming back, you might need two. And I, I'm not sure where the scoring comes from. And, and defensively, you know, Boston, if, if they were their, their normal self at this point, I would feel a little more confident. But the defensive stuff we've seen out of the Celtics. Now, last night, again, they, they turned it on a little bit in the second half after the first quarter. Um, they they really, you know, nailed, you know, Houston, you know, down and, and Houston shot themselves out of the game. By the time we got to the end, Houston's just jacking up threes, get the game over with at that point. Uh, Oladipo wanted to go home with like eight minutes left in the third quarter. He was just shooting wherever the hell he wanted to shoot. But the Boston defensively, you talk about maybe trying to slow them down. Boston can't stop them or Philly or some of these upper echelon, you know, Eastern Conference teams. And so it then becomes a math problem. Like, how can we keep up with them? And we've kind of danced around the whole trade market thing. And, and who do they go get? My question for you, Jared, is, is there anybody out there in this particular trade market? Because it's much more condensed because there are so many other teams that are like, Hey, we're hanging around that, that, that playing spot where we might not want to deal anybody. Is there a guy out there in your opinion that could give Boston the offense it would need to keep up with that Brooklyn team? Because that's the team you got to go through to get to the, the NBA finals. In my opinion, I, I think the Sixers pre- present a pretty interesting matchup for, for Brooklyn. The, the Joel Embiid problem for them is going to be a very interesting one to solve. But they just might be like, Hey, he's going to get 40 points a game. Nothing we can do about it. We'll just have to limit the other guys. But if you're Boston and you look at Brooklyn, I just don't think there is one guy out there that solves the problem of, yeah, we can score with Brooklyn. I think you're probably right. And what's really tricky is that they're just in this weird, they're in this weird spot where they're kind of handcuffed by the TPE, the Hayward TPE, and that you don't want to, you don't want to chip away at it because you want it in its full form to go after the best player possible. But like, let's say you wanted to get George Hill or Nemanja Bialisa or something like that. 
Um, I can't, I'm pretty sure Bielisa is still making seven a year. I haven't checked that in a while, but like, let's Chris use George Hill's last example. week was all in on going after Al Horford. Perfect example. I mean, they didn't want to pay Al Horford two years ago. You were really, really going to pay him now, two years later, when you're only getting the crappy end of that deal. Right. I mean, Hey, if he's still good, he's still good. Then it's totally worth it. But so it's funny. Cause I was just, I can't remember if I wrote or if I was talking about it, but I was, I was talking about how much the Celtics, miss Al Horford in their offensive system and so it would actually make a lot of sense for them to bring Horford back for sure and he might be worth it it's just that like if you're doing that but to your point like imagine the reaction if that's how you're using the TPE and it's not even about the reaction it's just that like you're using the TPE for two years and then it's and then it's gone like this is your chance to bring in someone who's going to be here for five to seven years and be on that same timeline as your big stars like Carson Edwards and Romeo Langford. And so that's why, or oh yeah, Jason Tatum too. And so <laughs> that's why they need, I, like I understand and have been advocating for what Angel has been saying that like, they need to show a little bit of patience to make sure that they hit a home run with this. And frankly, I think Danny's future is kind of hinging on it a little bit here. I don't think he's going to get fired ever, but like he might be told maybe it's time to you know move, move out of the way and let Zarin, or whomever takes over, take over if this is a complete flop and they don't turn this into a massive boon for their future. And it's like just using it on like someone like Harrison Barnes, it's going to give you nice gains, but it's not, it's probably, it would be shocking if it gives you enough to put you over the top now. And it's giving you a player that's got like a couple years of prime left. And then he's probably on the downside from there. So it's like, you want to go for someone who's young. You want to really swing for the fences. And what's good is that you can do that at the draft in the off season and then still be able to like go um, give John Collins a max offer sheet and then pay $14 billion in taxes if Wick is willing to do so, which is a big question mark. We don't know. We're going to finally find out. After years of waiting to find out, we're finally going to find out. This is the summer where Wick either cuts a $100 million tax check or he cheaps out. So we'll see. So, but so as far as so to actually answer your question, it, it, that's why like, they're not going to trade for George Hill. They're not going to trade for a guy making $11 million that takes that TPE from 28 million down to 17 million. And then you're out of the running for so many potential stars, like potentially even like a Zach Levine type of player, which I don't think is someone they would be targeting, but like, you know, a good example of a youngish all-star. Vucevic who, even. Sure, but Vucevic is thirty, so it's a little yeah, different. Gordon, like, 48? so Gordon, they could have Gordon, they could probably have now. I mean, it's it's not like I've been saying they should trade for Aaron Gordon since they got the TPE by mistake. Like, you know, that, that I have sources that have been telling me for about a year now. Aaron Gordon wants to get traded, and the Celtics would be interested in going for him, and he's a perfect fit. And in my own analysis, I think he's a perfect fit, and they can actually really maximize his potential if he plays here. So, you know, if you could, if you can get Aaron Gordon now, that's a move that they should make. I think they should, because I don't think they're going to do that much better than Aaron Gordon in the off season. And they could even still go get John Collins if they wanted to, even after getting Aaron Gordon. But again, I don't know if, uh, if Wick is going to pay that guy, that would probably be the, the most expensive team in NBA history at that point, but they also could be the best team in the NBA at that point and win a bunch of championships. So, you know, would it be a terrible idea? But so at the end of the day, it's really hard for them to justify chipping away at the Hayward TB. Thankfully for them, they have the cancer TB and that's four and a half mil or whatever. Mm-hmm. So 
that they could get a solid rotation player. There's not a lot of those guys that would fit into it that could be realistically available, but they could get somebody or they could obviously get John Collins. I think it's most likely they use that to get some sort of rotation player and they just do a little bit to improve the team this year and hope that they can really coalesce into a great team by just having Smart and Kemba Walker back at full health. Your colleague at The Athletic, Sham Sharania, who, by the way, does not respond to my text nearly at the frequency of Bob Ryan, wrote earlier today uh, that uh, the Celtics have looked into John Collins, who you've brought up a number of times, obviously. Harrison Barnes remains a more logical trade candidate, though, and the Seas have interest, or at least they will, in LaMarcus Aldridge if he hits the buyout market. So what are your I, I know you're all in on Collins, so am I, if that were to, you know, actually become a realistic possibility. But it seems like every, the, the name everybody is defaulting to and have been for weeks is Harrison Barnes. Despite how many times, uh, you know, formerly Boston's own Kyle Draper screams from Sacramento so loud that you can hear him from there that Harrison Barnes is not going to be mm-hmm. traded and the Celtics are not going to trade for him and it's just not going to happen. He's he's swung the other way. He's He's King's guy now, Kyle Draper. Uh, is is there something to that? Do you think he'll be moved? Do you think he'll be moved to Boston? Certainly Boston would be interested. Do you think that will happen? And, uh, you know, what what is your view of the altered situation? So Barnes is just one of the overpay guys on the market right now. So you have to overpay his value. And so the question is, is it worth it? So right now, if they offered two first-round picks and one of their good young uh, players – I think Sacramento would do the deal. I don't think they want to do that. I think they would rather just go, let's wait till the summer, see if Bradley Beal asks out, and then throw seven first-round picks at Washington. And that's I agree with that. That's a much better plan. I think Harrison Barnes is a really good player. It would be an ideal fit for this team and would take this team from playing at – they're playing at like a sixth seed right now and they probably probably would be playing at like a three seed or second seed level, but they probably still wouldn't be as good as those top three teams at the top of the East. So it just wouldn't, it wouldn't put them over the top enough that the opportunity costs would be worth it. But at the same time, not trading for Harrison Barnes right now puts all your chips into the basket of this very short window to pull mm-hmm. off a mega trade for a player that you just don't even really know is going to be realistically available and a player that you are probably competing with every other team in the NBA, except for like the Lakers basically uh, to try to get, or the Nets to try to get like, there's like 26 teams in the NBA that will try to trade for Bradley Beal. And they don't have, they don't have a super young star to offer. There's no point of trading Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum for him. You're not good. If you only, if you get, you're not good. If you only have two of those guys, you need all three of them. If you want to be a great team. So there's no point of trading Jalen Brown for any of these guys even though what's really holding up a John Collins deal with Atlanta is that uh, Atlanta has been asking for Jalen Brown. They want to do a bigger trade surrounding Jalen Brown. And obviously, unless they're going to throw in Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, and John Collins, there's no point of trading Jalen Brown. I wouldn't trade Jalen Brown for Trey Young. Absolutely not, especially with this team. Um, and DeAndre Hunter is really great, but even DeAndre Hunter and John Collins combined isn't enough for me to trade away a 24 year old two way all star who's starting to, you know, is still like three years away from his prime. It's like, no, like that guy's way too valuable. Maybe Hunter turns into a really good player, but it's like Jalen's so worth it. So the Celtics are just stuck in this weird, this weird limbo where they have guys that are too good to trade. And then a lot of guys that just aren't good enough to pull off the big trade. So 
I, I, that's the calculus in deciding whether to go for somebody like Harrison Barnes. They know that they can throw in like eight assets, something, a crazy number of assets to go for a huge superstar in the off season. And they're the ones that know whether that's probably going to be enough. Cause they've been working the phones for a while. And like, as much as my sources might tell me from opposing teams, it's I'm not there, you know, well, sometimes they are the ones in the trade negotiations, but like for the most part, they're kind of like working off of what they're hearing about the negotiations. While we know that Ainge and Zarin, those guys are literally in the negotiations and they have a much clearer sense of the market. So I think that's, what's going to determine whether a Barnes deal gets done. Then as far as LaMarcus Aldridge, nobody's the Celtics aren't going to trade for him. You'd have no. to trade Kemba Walker for him or use up the TP on a, on a four yeah. spacing 36 year old. So not happening. yeah, LaMarcus Aldridge is not happening unless it's a buyout. If it's a buyout, maybe, but like we just, we just spent the first half of the show talking about how they have a pretty solid three man rotation at the five spot. Why would you bring in another one of these guys? Just cause he's shooting, isn't he shooting like 36 and a half percent from three this year? It's not even like he's lighting it up. You know, he's good, but like, he's not, he's not that good. So I, I don't see them as a contender for LaMarcus Aldridge really. Um, and then we'll, I, I forget who was the other player that we were talking about for this question. Well, the other one was John Collins, who obviously I mean, oh, at sure. that point in yeah. time, you will disrupt yeah. your big man rotation. And that's fine. He's worth it. I, right. I'm, I'm pretty sold that he's someone that would really thrive in this system. So I think he's totally worth throwing the kitchen sink at. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. I think you have to say bye to some other guys though. If you bring John Collins on, cause that extension is really yeah. pricey. Um, I think, you know, I would just trust Ryan Bernadotti more than myself in terms of, you know, cap crunching numbers and figuring out down the line what that means. Um, I think uh, the John Collins thing is interesting, but that might be there in the offseason anyway. So, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I agree with you, though. I don't think there's really um, I don't I, I just don't see there's a trade that they can make that puts them on Brooklyn, Brooklyn's level. And that's just going to make a lot of people very angry because they want to use this TPE now instead of wait. Uh, for for the summer and like I know people want to get excited about the Bradley Beal thing but that only happens if one thing if he's like I'm only going to Boston I want to play here because uh, everybody else is going to try and trade for Bradley Beal and has much more to offer the the one thing that does help Boston is there have been so many first round draft picks traded recently that they're one of the few teams that has like the full war chest of first round draft picks that they personally own so that would be a benefit there but I just you know, I, I think this team is going to be, and, and unfortunately, I think people are kind of mad at it. It's like, uh, well, they've been to the Easter Conference Finals so many times already. Like, they have to do a move to get over the hump. It's like, yeah, well, that move might not be right now. I have to remember, like, Jalen and Jason are still in their young 20s. Like, a lot of guys don't win the title until, you know, late 20s, early 30s when they're superstars. I mean, look at Durant. Look at Steph Curry. I mean, look at all these guys that took till age 26 and a half. MJ and LeBron. Right. So, I mean, people are in such a rush because, and it's, I think part of it has to do with the whole NBA landscape of how people are moving all the time. So I think Boston fans are somewhat scared that like, Oh, Jalen and Jason, if we don't get a title now, uh, you know, they're going to be gone and, and, you know, they'll have nothing to show for it. I'm like, everybody relax for just a second. Everybody relax, please. I know, well, I know, I know people have that fear, but I mean, Jalen just signed an extension last year, and Jason just signed his this year. And, and I think what Jalen's just kicked in, Jason doesn't kick in until next season. So the, w- there's time. Everybody relax. I know the cap gets different and all that stuff, but just there's the, the there's still the window is still there. I think people got scared, and, I, and I'm not trying to call out Bill Simmons or anything, but people are like, oh, 
the Celtics missed their window last season. I'm like, wait a minute, what? What are we talking about? Like, well, they had an opportunity. I think people are just people are petrified, petrified that Danny Ainge is going to let this TPE expire. That's really what this is. I don't think they're going to let it expire. That'd be ridiculous. I think they'll eventually make a move. I mean, I, I'm with. I just. I, I think that if you look at the landscape, the fact that nobody's really available unless you want to overpay. And we know Danny Danny doesn't like to do that. Mike Zarin doesn't like to do that. Zarin, Zarin does likes to hold on to draft picks, you know, further down the road because he knows, you know, the capital implications better than anybody else. So I, I get why people are nervous. And I'm just telling you, it's probably more likely than not, they're not going to make a huge deal here. But I am perfectly okay with waiting to have more options available for you in a season, in an off season where, you know, not everybody's competing to get to the nine ten seed. That's it's, that's all I'm saying. So a few things. First off, when they got the night that they got to the TPE, they said quietly, privately, we're going to use the TPE. So don't worry. The TPE will get used. It might not get used on something good, but it will get used at some point. Um, the There's a big thing. So there are some front offices out there in the NBA that are being run terribly. It happens all the time. The Sacramento Kings have existed for a long time, right? So that that is a thing but we know that this Celtics brain trust is very good like we know that there's a long track record of them doing a phenomenal job with their work and so a lot of people get deluded into thinking that they can say like Danny Age doesn't know what he's doing like come on guys of course Danny Age knows what he's doing and like you know people get annoyed when he says uh, we came close on a lot of deals, but nothing got done. And they think, oh, this is classic Danny Ainge refusing to do anything. It's like, no, they got close on a lot of deals and they didn't want and they didn't want to do them. And it's totally reasonable. And they can keep kicking the can down the road. But at a certain point, the road cuts out and there's a cliff and you can't kick it any further. And so they're approaching that cliff. And you know, Bill like Bill Simmons said, you said that he said that uh that they missed their window. Mm-hmm. So it, there's no question that last year was their best chance. Like they, yeah, if Gordon Hayward never got hurt, they could have won that championship. I mean, they were pretty close with Gordon Hayward being a shell of himself. So yeah, they, they could have won that championship. We saw how close Miami got in those first few games before Bam Adebayo got hurt. I mean, like that was going to be, that was going to, that series was going to go to the distance against the Lakers. If the Celtics beat that Miami team, I'm sure they could have gone the distance with the Lakers too. So yeah, that, that was a that was a great chance, and it's probably going to be their best chance for a little while. But they have a few years to get it together and to and put together a team that they know can take that big swing and step into the ring with a heavyweight. And it doesn't happen ha- doesn't have to happen this year. But if they don't capitalize on the TPE, there were just no more opportunities for them to bring in more players to really build things up. And then from there, you're just hoping that either you can trade all your young guys for someone that somehow fits cap wise. You can trade Kemba Walker this off season with a ton of assets for somebody that fits, you know, your opportunities are a lot more limited to make these deals happen. Um, So you're hoping that that happens or you're hoping that Romeo Langford takes another huge step this year because he, he was taking a pretty solid step last year at the bubble before he got hurt. So you're hoping that Romeo Langford gets really, really good. And a lot of these young guys get really good over the next year. And suddenly they're the super deep team that is possible, but like nobody really wants to see that 
nobody wants to see them take the chance of that happening. Like you want to see them do something decisive and all the other teams in the NBA that are super competitive, they all got there by doing that. Like there's not one contender right now that didn't make a massive move to consolidate all their assets and to build a contender, even Philadelphia, they made a huge trade for Tobias Harris and they also got Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey. And they also just made a trade for uh, Seth Curry. And they made a trade for Danny Green. Like they, they traded away Al Horford. Like they made some big deals. Mm-hmm. And then obviously the LA teams and Milwaukee and Brooklyn, those teams were all built on, you know, some huge deals that they made. Even Milwaukee, you know, the Drew Holiday trade. Um, so Utah is the only team that, you know, didn't really make a gigantic trade, but it took them like six years to get there. And everything had to break perfectly for them. And we'll see if it holds up in the playoffs. You know, So they're starting to show a few cracks here or there. So it's pretty obvious that the Celtics need to take a big swing if they're going to get to where they want to get to. Last thing for me, and uh, we could spend 45 minutes on this topic, but I'll frame it in the form of one question. Let's Maybe do it next then. Next time you're on, we'll, we'll dissect it long. Yeah, let's let's just hang out. Uh, you're in a robe. You're comfortable. You don't need to go anywhere. The uh, – the, this Evan and I were texting about this. I've been texting with friends about this. You know, obviously when, when things are going poorly for the Celtics, you know, it's gone as the, like the green team are happy to be here. We're just, you know, happy to be in the mix. Like those days are over. Now you have the fire everybody. It's, you know, Brad Stevens isn't good enough. He doesn't maximize his talent enough. You know, Danny Ainge, he, he sits on his hands too much. He's won one championship in like 75 years. Everybody needs to go this the full system reboot. My question is this. And by the way, I am not advocating for either to lose their job. And I've talking, I've spoken extensively about that on this show in the past. You want to hear it, go back, listen to previous shows. I won't bore Jared with it now, but my question is this, which one do you have more questions about going forward? You know, especially if they don't reach the heights that you'd like to see them reach this year, you know, even within a realistic window, do you have bigger questions surrounding Danny Ainge, who has of course rebuilt this team multiple times over made some sizable i mean he's he's made some impactful trades he has drafted very well at the you know high end of the draft obviously between tatum and brown i mean maybe the 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 premier young duo in the nba you know unless you want to include like zion and ingram or something like that i mean it's it's brown and tatum we all know that or brad stevens who i think a lot of his years has overachieved but then once he had enough talent, you know, more than enough talent, we saw what happened and it went the other way. And he has, you know, failed at least to this point or struggled, failed is too strong, struggled with maximizing his his top talents or all-star veteran level talents. So I'm not including Tatum and Brown. I'm talking about like Irving and, and obviously Hayward with all the injuries and guys like that, you know, even Horford, I think, was very good here, but other people will say, oh, he, he didn't do enough, blah, 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 blah. Which guy, in my long-winded way of asking, do you have more questions about going forward? Brad, um, I think Dan- Danny, I think I think it's because I think we understand Danny's methodology a little bit better because we've seen it play out. Um, we, we understand the current, uh, the the few different pathways that they're pursuing right now, and with Brad, Brad, Brad has struggled to develop a good offensive system, uh, an offensive system that holds up in the postseason, and that's I think that's a big question mark: is can he build a team 
in an era where the league is like very deliberately shifted towards offensive play, can he build a team that has a complex and difficult to game plan for offense? I, I think as far as in-game adjustments and, and scouting and game planning, he's one of the elite coaches. Defense, one of the elite coaches. Offense, it's been very middle of the road. And he's done an incredible job in the postseason of adjusting offensive strategy and personnel to to be able to um, beat like elite defenses. I mean, last year, those, the Toronto and Miami defenses were like two of the best defenses of this generation. They were incredible. And he managed to game plan around them. And if it weren't for just a couple quarters where they completely collapsed in that Miami series, they would have won that Miami series. But they just like fell flat on their faces in a, over a couple quarters. It was very strange. Um, I think they ended up outscoring Miami overall in that series. So, you know, it's like the the margin between Brad being a coach who has failed by getting to the conference finals three times in four years, right. which is a, a standard that only Boston could have for their coach, right? Like maybe New York and LA could feel the same way, but like that's kind of crazy that that's that people want to fire a coach that keeps making the conference finals every freaking year with a different team. But the the, the margin – the, even though the margin feels razor thin between winning the conference finals and winning the championship or sorry, losing at six, in the conference finals when the championship, it is a massive gulf. It's just as big of a gulf of making the playoffs and making the Eastern conference finals. And I have a huge question of whether Brad can get there. I'm pretty sure he can. I, I mean, I, I think he's a great coach and one of the best coaches in the NBA. And I think he's exhibited that with his flexibility and his progressiveness and forward thinking over the years. But he, like every other coach, whatever they do and all that kind of stuff, at the end of the day, they got to build up elite superstars and then find a way to utilize those elite superstars properly. And that's the hardest thing to do in the NBA. And there's a lot of teams that keep trying to do it, and only one of them wins at the end of the day. And we just haven't quite seen Brad pull that off yet. And so I don't know if he's going to be able to. Um, in looking at the way that they've been operating so far this year, it hasn't been happening. But also, the roster he's been working with has been crap. And so maybe now that the roster is getting healthy, and especially if they make a trade, I think this might be our best chance to see what he can really do with it. Now that Tatum and Brown are much closer to complete players than they were even a year ago. You know, I think now they're the kind of complete, well-rounded players, the kind of playmakers. I mean, they're both averaging over four this game. And frankly, they would be playing at MVP level if they weren't shooting so poorly this year, which a lot of that has to do with the offensive system and the personnel they're playing with. But um, I think they're now complete enough that they're ready to make a title run at this point. And so I think a lot of it is on Brad. Can he can he devise a system that's creative enough that teams can't just like predictably load up on it like they currently are doing? And most right now their winning is mostly coming down to who can really step up and support Tatum and Brown right now? And then how many contested shots are Tatum and Brown hitting per game? Because right now they're not getting good looks. And I do think a lot of that is the system. And so maybe that changes with better personnel, but it's like this, it's a really weird cycle right now that they're stuck in. And Stevens is the one that's going to be able to break that. And if he does, that could elevate them really highly. Evan, anything to add before we get out of here? I'm all set. I do have one thing actually to talk about. So one, the Patriots just signed uh, Jonu Smith. Yeah. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Big tight end. Love it. 
Huge. So huge my move. They got a. Uh, I was I was monitoring Twitter as you were talking to, and of course paying attention, hanging on every word. But they signed a premier nose tackle <laughs> as well. So uh, Cel- the uh, Celtics, the Patriots, they've been busy early. Um, we'll we'll see what happens as it continues. But so the big thing was uh, the text I got earlier was yeah. someone texting me. Brad Stevens' dream job just opens, and oh, I was Indiana? like. That can only be one thing, right? So, right. so it wasn't Boston I real- College. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, maybe Al Skinner could be the Celtics coach. But so it was. It's really interesting to wonder what would it take to pry Brad Stevens away from his current situation because he's in a he's in a, he's in one of the most desirable organizations for a coach. He's in an organization where there's extreme stability and support for the coach. They've been showing it with the contract. I mean, he just got like a five year contract extension. So. He's in a situation that pretty much every coach in the basketball world would prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, but he also could go be the king of Indiana. Does he want that? I don't know. I think that he really doesn't like recruiting and really cares about his family time. And you're not allowed to have a family when you're the king. So being an NBA coach actually gives him an off season to spend time with his family mm-hmm. and actually, actually like allows him to have a sense of work-life balance. And so I, I, I would be also not to mention, I mean, I'm sure they could get a good education, but his kids are at like some of the elite schools in the country right now, like getting a great education. And like, I'm, I think that's something that really matters to him. So I would be shocked if he wanted a buyout from his contract to go take this job. But if there was ever a job where it was going to happen, this would be it. So this is going to be a really interesting uh, couple of weeks here as that coaching search takes place. I won't pretend to know Brad Stevens on any sort of personal level, but doesn't he strike you as the kind of guy that would have a lot of, even if, even if he, that really were the dream job. And I'm sure it was at one point in time, but let's say it still is that it's just something he really wants. Don't you feel like he would have a really hard time walking away from a situation where like, it's not like he's, you know, on the cusp of like taking Orlando to the playoffs or something like he's, you know, he's been to the conference finals. Like you said, three out of the last four years, he's coaching the Boston Celtics, a preeminent NBA franchise, as you noted that, that he would have a hard time walking away from like, just, just feeling like there's, you know, I, I didn't do all I set out to do. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've left something, you know, I, I, I have unfinished business is maybe the best way to put it. And he could look that way, you know, on his, on his time in college as well, taking Butler to consecutive, you know, NCAA championship games, but like Butler wasn't supposed to get there. You know, it was a mid-major that, that overachieved. And a lot of that was because of Stevens and, and obviously his players and hardworking in the system and everything they put in place, totally different situation, you know, leaving the NBA with what he's done to this point, to then go back to college. I don't know. I just, he strikes me as someone that would have a really hard time doing that. I I think that, I think he's someone that cares about basketball and his, and and having a lasting impact on the sport itself. And, you know, someone like for me as someone who grew up in Boston, so I never really cared about college basketball at a very personal level because it's just not a huge sport here. Um, Although I was, I grew up a BC fan and shout out to BC and all, but, and I went to BU, so I care about BU, uh, but yourselves a new head coach at BC, by the way, but, but either way, the point is to me, college basketball always felt college basketball always felt like a minor league to the NBA and that 
the greatness of basketball to achieve is at the NBA level. And Brad does not come from that. He comes from a different culture. He comes from the state where like high school basketball is like the preeminent level of basketball. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I, his priorities could be different. And I know that he's someone who is re- really is, I think, at least for the most part, driven by process over results. So I do think he's the kind of person that could walk away from the NBA saying, I never won the championship, but we had some great years. We did a wonderful job trying to pursue it. And I take great satisfaction and pride out of that. I do think that, I mean, that's a, that's the stuff he preaches. Maybe he's completely full of it, but I'm pretty sure he's not. And I mean, like we've had, you know, non-public conversations about it where it's like very clear he does truly believe in it. And, uh, and he sold me on it and I believed in it too. So I do think he has the type of worldview that would allow him to walk away from this. If it's, if, if Indiana, the school that, I mean, from everything I've been told over the years, like he grew up dreaming of coaching Indiana, of, be, of playing for Indiana. So this is the dream job. And so maybe this is the one job in the entire world of basketball that he would throw it all away for because it would be fulfilling a childhood dream. But at the same time, he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that would do that, that would really romanticize that. I think he cares about the pursuit of excellence in the art that he loves, which is basketball, and that he would want to stick with the NBA and try to reach the peak in the NBA. Also, man, you're going to tell me Indiana's not going to turn over again in like five years? He'll have another chance to go there if he wants to. It's true. But you know what? If he does choose to go there, they're going to give him – they're going to give him a lifetime deal for a billion dollars. It's going to be like a LeBron yeah. Nike deal. It'll yeah. be 10 years, whatever, you know, name your price. Mm-hmm. We're going to give you a mansion and you get a Rolls Royce golf cart to drive around town and all that kind of stuff. Like they will, they, the taxpayers will fund whatever needs to be done to get <laughs> it there. That's for sure. Well, this show brought to you by betonline.ag. Go to betonline.ag today. Use the promo code CLNS50 for 50% bonus when you sign up. So like I said earlier, although I think it was off the air, just another 45 minute show in the books. Thanks to uh, everyone for uh, being part of it and listening. Obviously a lot of great information. I think the Stevens thing really good to bring up at the end. It does make for an interesting couple weeks. You know, I, I don't think he goes anywhere. Jared doesn't sound like, you know, he believes he's going anywhere, but it is something obviously to monitor and we'll be, uh, if nothing else, good talk radio fodder among all else that is going on. And yeah, Patriots got Johnu Smith. So our thanks to everybody. Thanks to uh, Evan, of course. Feel better, and uh, you know, let's get you on on the uh, straight and narrow again. The Celtics back at it against the Jazz at the Garden tomorrow. Uh, busy week Wednesday in Cleveland. Friday home against the Kings. Uh, maybe a, a little audition there for uh, Harrison Barnes or a preview of what he'll look like in a Celtics uniform, hopefully. And uh, one game over the weekend. And of course, Jared Weiss, who we don't have on nearly enough, especially since this used to be his show. So you can join us again and uh, anytime you want, as long as you wear a robe. You've set the bar really high. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, uh, I'll tell you what. I, I, I thought it was okay hosting the show, but it's a much better hands now with you guys. You guys do a terrific job, and I, I always enjoy listening. You're very kind. Thank you, and uh, thank all of you for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of the NFL's legal tampering period and check out this show when you have time. Of course, if you're still hearing me say this, you already have. We'll see you next time.